Pastors, thank you all so much for having us in. And um, can you give your pastors a hand? Man. All right, can we give them a, a, another hand, but a little bit better than that? Give them another. There you go. There you go. I, I know you love them. You know, we get to travel to a lot of churches all around, you know, the United States. And every now and then we go overseas. And it's amazing to see churches like this. Because there's churches that are just church, and then there's churches that are family. And this church has a story. This church didn't just pop up one day, right? It, it has been a story of grind and a story of pioneering and planting. And much like that's the story of this church, I mean, that's the story of every marriage, right? <laughs> How many of you have been married for just a year? Do we have any newlyweds in here? Man, oh. congratulations. Give them a hand. <laughs> and then y'all give them some advice after this. How many of you been married five years, maybe? Okay, congrats. Ten years? Anybody ten years? Wow, congratulations. Fifteen years. Congratulations. Twenty years. It's funny because the one year, they're like, ah, and then the 15, they're like, mm. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Anybody 20 years, we said? Okay, we just made 20 years this month. Anybody 30 years? Man, congrats. 40. Man. 50? Wow. wow. Y'all should more. be teaching this tonight. <laughs> she said Any, anybody no. over 50 years? Wow. <laughs> How many? Shout it out. 66. Wow. 68. They wow. beat you. 68 years. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. That, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, in today's society, in today's world, Marriage is, is not really something that you see lasting a lot. You know, we have social media that's kind of like the biggest thing right now. And so news can spread very quickly. Um, most people put out their A game, right? You know, you have the before picture and the after picture. They're only putting their after pictures. Even with churches, it's like, you know, churches put their, which you should. You should put your best foot forward. But sometimes when, when you're in, you know, a planting season as a young pastor, you're looking at other churches to glean from, and sometimes you're only seeing the highlight reel. And so then you go home and you get you know, discouraged, like, man, we're not doing good. And sometimes you can see that same thing with marriage. People put on their highlight reel when yeah. they're in front of people, and uh, when they leave, then, you know, it's, it's the, the other part you don't see so often. Tonight, we wanted to share something with you, and then, of course, tomorrow, we're going to be doing individual sessions. She's got an amazing message and I'm going to be teaching something tomorrow that, um, man, I can't wait. And I don't want to get into it tonight. But I can't wait because it doesn't matter what level you're at in your marriage. God has so much more. And we serve a God of abundance. And uh, one of the things I'm going to talk to you about tomorrow is just dreaming. Believing God can take you somewhere you've never been. Not just in your relationship, but just in life. In your relationship, but in your family, in your goals, and your dreams. You know, I have the privilege of not only working alongside many ministers and many churches and doing ministry with my wife, but God has also given me a foot in the marketplace. And so I help companies either start or scale. And one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is how to scale a marriage. And a lot of times we only hear those terms when it comes to business, right? But does it matter, any business owners in here? Okay, cool. Praise God. That's awesome, man. I believe you will flourish and, and help do some kingdom agendas through your companies. That's my heart. My heart, my life, personally, is to create pockets that God can reach into to fund kingdom agendas. And I do that through entrepreneurial things. But what I've noticed with marriages, see, with businesses, I can come in and I can find someone who just started a business, and they're eager to learn how to get it started and going. You can find someone who's been in business for 30 years, and if they're really passionate, they're not done. They want to scale that business. They want to learn how to do more, how to have a greater influence. And the same thing can happen even in your marriage. I don't care if you've been married five years or 68 years. You can still scale your marriage. Your marriage is a ministry, and God wants to grow the things in which He's designed. He designed marriage, right? And if God is a designer of marriage, 
then we know that God's design is to grow. I mean, the very first words that we heard as mankind was be fruitful and multiply. And so that's the same thing I want to speak over you tonight, that God desires for you to be fruitful. He desires for you to multiply. That doesn't necessarily just mean children, right? Mm-hmm. We're done multiplying. We have five kids. I think you'll have a picture of my family. If you, there's yeah, my are. beautiful family. <laughs> we have, and that's the awkward teenage years where they're learning how to smile and not smile. It's so but painful. It's painful. On, on the left, that is what I call my cherry on top. That's my little girl. That's a long story. Maybe we'll get into it this weekend. But that's my daughter, Hadley. That's her twin brother on the far right. His name is Dylan. And if you know anything about our story, we may, we may share some tonight. Dylan has, uh, through the grace of God and the power of Jesus, has beat cancer twice. And he's completely healed, completely cured. He's doing phenomenal. Amen. Yeah, that's worth clapping about. I'll clap Woo! about that. And then right in the middle, that is, um, man, he's just something special. This kid, I can't explain. His name's Landon. Landon, let the other kids hear this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Landon, Landon's going places, right? Land, Landon's that one We're kid. We're not anybody sure got, about the other Anybody one. got more than like, you know, two or three kids, right? A couple of you. And you're like, that one. You know you got that one, something. you're like, this one's going to make me proud, right? He, he's the one that's going to make us proud. That kid is amazing. He just uh, went to nationals. All right, pipe it down. Pipe and he down. made All-American in basketball. He's 11 years old. If you've got any, any 11-year-old daughters, reserve them, save them. As long as they're filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, we'll talk. We'll talk. But he's doing great. And then to the far top left, that's Gavin. He was actually the donor, the bone marrow donor to his brother Dylan. So that's a cool story, man. The answer that we needed was always in our home. It was yeah. already there. We already had it. And then and on the he's, far... He's also special in going places. He is. All of our kids are special <laughs> in going places. And then on the top right, that's our oldest son, Jaden. So we've got 16, 14, 11, and then twin seven-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And Jaden's phenomenal. He's such a creative kid. We, God has blessed us, right? And so when I say be fruitful and multiply, it's not that he just wants you to have kids, um, but he wants you to multiply everything you set your hand to. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, not only how to scale your marriage, but ultimately three keys to scaling your marriage. So if you're taking notes, we're going to give you tons of bullet points you can write down. But I'm going to let my wife start off with key number one. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about communication. Everyone say communication. (laughs) I know I feel like it's one of these uh, subjects that has just been beaten down and you hear all the time, right? In marriage, you need to have good communication. And, um, and it's true. And that's the reason why it's talked about all the time is because no matter how much you hear it, you can hear about it. You can know you need to have good, good communication. But until you actually have good communication, it is hard to grow at all in your marriage. I know my husband and I, we could not be more different. Right, babe? That's true. We're very different. We're very, very different. True. We're both very valuable in our own rights. Yeah, we're both going places. <laughs> we're both going places. <laughs> sometimes it's together and sometimes I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> um, but we're very, very different. It, how many is that true? Your sp- you and your spouse are like opposites. And I don't know why that seems to happen all the time. God seems to put these yeah. couples together that they're opposite. And you're like, but why why do we do this? Because then it's like you're constantly like, I don't understand what you see and how you see and why you see it that way. And it doesn't make sense. And so then you're wrong. And because uh, <laughs> it's so hard for us, right, as human beings to understand someone that thinks differently than us. That's true. And so when you, when you come to the realization that when someone thinks differently than you, it doesn't make them wrong. It makes them different. And that's nothing wrong with them. It's just different. And so learning to value the differences and, and even the differences of communication. And so for us, that was something that, you know, we've been married for 20 years. For some of y'all, you may think that's, that's uh, amazing. That's so long. And some of you may think, you know, like the, the people it have been married started, over 60 yeah. years. Yeah, you're like, wow, that's not long at all. But Um, Over the years, we've learned so much about our communication and how important it is and how we have to value and understand the way each other communicates. And so I want to talk about three T's of healthy communication. Three T's of healthy communication. Um, 
So number one, the first T is topic, and that is knowing what to say. So a lot of times there are issues that are never talked about because you don't even know how to bring it up. You don't know what to say. Yeah, you, the fear of saying something wrong, the fear of what it may cause, um, the, the, the fear of, of it just causing something that, is, that you can't get back from. Do you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes there are some hot button issues that you're like, if I bring that up, <laughs> there is no coming back from this. <laughs> like I might want to go to my grave with this. But knowing what to say is so important because it's, um, it's one of those things where you cannot change what when you are unwilling to confront. Yeah. So if there are issues within our marriages and, and between us, if we refuse to actually confront it, then it will never change. And the problem with that is the things that we refuse to confront, they'll remain the same and then they'll actually get worse from neglect. And so we have to learn how to say, okay, uh, this, is, this is the issue and I'm going to be vulnerable and open. If you cannot be vulnerable and open with your spouse, who can you be vulnerable yeah. and open with? And so, and the problem with a lot of marriages is that um, he may not be a safe place for me to share my feelings. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And I may not be a safe place for him to share his feelings. Why? Because he shared his feelings before and it was not safe after that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and being a safe place, this is what it means to be a safe place. It's a place where right now you have the opportunity to say what you need to say and I will hear it and I will receive it. Yeah, and there's times, just like a practical application, there was a, there was a time in the early years of our ministry and, and our marriage because you know, when we got married, you know, we, I was straight from, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. My dad was a carpenter. So we talked to people like you do on the construction site, you know, it's like, it's how we talked. And so, you know, I, I, I grew up that way. Our family was kind of that way. And her family was kind of like, you know, we're, before we talk, we're going to read the love of God confession. <laughs> Or actually, in, we're not we're even going to talk about it. We're just going to read the love confession. Or we're just going to ignore it and just <laughs> believe that the Holy Spirit will talk to you. And so I'm very like, hey, there's a problem. Let's talk about it. That's me. Like, I'm very much like, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's confront it. Let, let's hash it out right now. And so we had some times where I, I would meet her and I'd say, hey, listen, let's go. There was this little coffee shop. So let's go sit down. I need to talk. She's like, about what? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you about what. Just meet me there. And if We're you not riding together. All, right? I am like sweating all day long. <laughs> yeah, so I would confrontation. Sit, is I would not sit my her thing. down and I would say, "Okay, here's the deal. I want to talk and I want you to listen, and I just need you to hear it. And that's really all I need you to do. I don't need you to tell me why. And so I would say, here's three things I need you to work on. And it wasn't me saying you got to change." But there were things like, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. And at first, she'd go, yeah, but that's your fault. That, that's because you took it the wrong way. And I'm like, no, no, listen, you can't. You, you already messed up the rules. I made the rules. You can't talk. And you like can't tell me why, right? And so, I would, so I, what I had to have her understand was it's not about how you meant it. It's how I received it. Because you may not have meant it that way, but I left damaged. I left harboring that, and I left, if we don't talk about it, starting to resent you. And so we've gotten to the point to where we won't, we won't you know, vomit those things on each other in the moment, but we'll, we'll definitely say, hey, we, we need to go have one of those, those sessions. Oh. And there's times where she'll meet with me, and she'll say, hey, here's five things. And those five things... See, mine was only three. Hers was like five. Well, there's, I'm like, it, this is the first five. It, it's my homework, right? And so I go away working on those things, not going, well, I do this because you do and this. And that's kind of our, our role. When we have a little checkup meeting like that, we both know, like, okay. Yeah, we we're call gonna them come, pulse meetings. We need to know the pulse. We're going to come to this, and we're not allowed to rebuttal and, and make excuses or argue it. Just say, okay. I will work yeah, on that. but we're going in that knowing what we're going to talk about. We're not allowing emotions to create a narrative mm -hmm. or to create a, a spontaneous combustion, yeah. you know, and where we're now fighting with our words. 
these are the things I want to talk about. And this is, this is, and I'm going to jump into the next things, but this is how I'm going to talk about them. So yeah, go ahead. Well, there cannot be um, healing without honesty. So really the first step toward healing in a relationship and where there has been any damage caused has to start at that point of honesty where you're able to say, this is the deal. This is the issue, and this is how it, make, how it makes me feel, and this is what's happening. And so if you ever want to get to a place of healing in your relationship, and every relationship needs healing, no matter how big or small, there's things that, is, that are said and done. And so there's always needs to have healing take place. So it cannot take place without honesty. And so honesty means that you have to say something. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to be willing to be open and vulnerable and and say okay this is this is how it is this is how i feel in proverbs 13:17 it says irresponsible talk makes a real mess of things but a reliable reporter is a healing presence so being honest is is more about what you say than how you say it cuz sometimes people get honest and harsh mixed up because they think well i'm just being honest well, being honest is, is about your content of what you're saying. It's not how you're saying it. So you, it, it, it says irresponsible talk. So harshness is irresponsible. So your delivery, and I'll get into that in a minute, but your delivery is, is not a, about honesty. So your honesty has to come from what's in your heart. And so you don't want to be irresponsible. And, and irresponsible in your words and the things that you're saying and, and how you're saying it. Because, um, you know, working through conflict, if it's done right, it can bring you closer together. Yeah, let me say this too, because it doesn't matter what level of marriage you're at. For instance, when we first got married, um, we were just figuring that out, you know. And, and then there comes kids. So now there's new conflicts, there's new arguments. There's, there's new, I mean, it's your mother-in-law keeps telling me how to hold the baby. And I'm like, well, your mom's your been mother. telling, sorry, your mom's been telling me how, I'm like, well, your mom's been telling me this. And, and, and it's like, you got all these issues now and mother-in-laws are staying for a week and, and, and you sleep deprived and you got all these issues. I think something's coming out of it. That's <laughs> purging. It's coming out. There you up. go. Honest, be honest, baby. But, you know, and just recently I had a conversation with my 16 year old son and he said, well, you don't know what it's like to be 16. I'm like, dude. I was 16. You're crazy. What are you talking about? But he's like, yeah, yeah, but that was in the 1900s. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even that old son, but okay, that sounded really bad. But one of the things I told him, I said, you know what? I said, I do know what it's like to be 16. I said, but I'll level with you. You've never been 16 before, and I've never parented a 16-year-old before. I said, so I need us both to recognize we're both learning in this season. So give me some grace. I'm going to mess up. And I'm going to give you some grace because you're going to mess up. But you know, that's a scaling part of our marriage, a scaling part of our family. Because the same is true with the business. When you own a business and, and you finally, you know, you get enough to, to pay your bills, but then all of a sudden increase starts coming and now you, you've grown or with a church, you've, you've outgrown a facility, you've got to scale to the next growth level and influence level you're always going to be scaling. I was sitting down with a, a, a man that I've surrounded myself with. I, I've always, one thing that her and I have always endeavored to do is surround ourselves with our future, not just with our present. And so when I got married at the young age of 19, we would go on double dates with people that were in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, people that were speaking to our future, not just to our present. It's cool to hang out with your friends that are your age and do stupid stuff that's your age, but I don't want to be that forever. I, I want to be where they are. And I was sitting down with this gentleman, and, and he's, he's a, one of the pastors on staff at our church, and he just started venting to me and just kind of confiding in me. And it's weird because I've been doing that with him, you know, a lot more he's been doing it with me. <laughs> he said, you know what, Caleb? He said, it's weird. He said, I'm, I'm almost 70. And he said, my conversations with my wife are different now. He said, now we're talking about what, are you, what, what will you do when I pass? Mm. And, or what are you going to do when I pass? Or, or how, do you, how are we going to... 
He said, now we're talking about leaving more than we were what was ahead of us, building the future together. Now we're trying to figure out how to transition without each other. That's a scalable moment in a marriage. The conversations change. What you're talking about changes. And so you might not be at a level right now on some of the things that we're talking about, but you're at a level right now or going to walk into a new level of something that needs to be scaled. And the things we're talking about tonight are scalable things at any level of your marriage. And, and your marriage is a ministry. So if you hear me say the yeah. word ministry, I'm talking about marriage. You've got to learn at every level because it goes from engagement to marriage, marriage to kids, kids to grandkids, you know, and then it just keeps growing. And so what she's talking about in knowing what to say is important, and that's being the topic. The second T is yes, what? Yes, the second T is timing. How many know timing is everything? So, knowing <laughs> so timing when to say. is knowing when to say. And so, you know, you can say the right thing at the wrong time. And it's not going to bear the fruit that you were looking for <laughs> at all. Um, if, if you say something in the, a time of high emotion, yeah. a time of high conflict, in the heat of the moment, the heat of an argument, um, you know, if your spouse has had a really hard day at work, that's not the time to come up and say, hey, you know. Why didn't you fix the gate on the fence? Why didn't you fix the gate on the fence? <laughs> you know? Or, you know, if your wife's had a long day and she's been busy and doing, taking care of the of stuff at the house or with the kids or has a job outside of the home, yeah. it's not really a good time at that end of the day to say, hey, you know, I need some more underwear clean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Craig Rochelle said this. He said, when emotions are high, wisdom, wisdom is, is low. low. Yeah. So we've kind of made that our endeavor that right now is not a good time for us to have this conversation. Boop, 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 boop. Agreement is everything, right? Shut it. And sometimes our agreement is we agree that we're not going to talk about this right now. <laughs> Let's agree to not talk <laughs> about gonna, this. We're going to agree to not talk. So just because something needs to be said, it doesn't mean that it needs to be said when you think it. So there are things that you may have on your mind and on your heart that you need to hold on in your heart for a little while longer and process it before you actually say something. So timing is everything. In James 1.19, it says, be quick to listen, but slow to speak and be slow to become angry. So when you speak too quickly, you're more susceptible to saying something that you shouldn't say or saying it in a way that it shouldn't be said. So what I like to say is um, you, it's always best to stop, reflect, process, and then prayerfully consider the emotion behind what you're about to say. So stop means simply stop immediately right now. Close your mouth. Do not proceed in this conversation because it's not going to end well or it's not going to bear the fruit that, that you want. So stop. If you're going to say something out of strong emotion, just stop for a moment and say, I'm feeling a strong emotion right now. I'm feeling <laughs> strongly angry, frustrated, I'm, or when you're tired. When you're tired, it's also like it makes you see things in a way where the world is falling apart and everything is horrible and you hate your life. And so that's a strong emotion. So stop, all right? Next, reflect. Ask yourself why you feel the way that you feel and as what you are about to say going to require an apology after. It's always horrible to have to apologize. You don't want to have to apologize. You don't want to regret what you said. And so if you can stop and reflect and ask yourself, in this moment, will I probably say something that I'm going to have to apologize for? Don't say it. Stop. Okay? And next, process. Look at every angle of the argument. In the moment, look at every angle of the argument. Try to see from your spouse's point of view, which is wrong, but, <laughs> <laughs> but try to comprehend the, you know, the craziness that might be in their brain. And, um, but, and also acknowledge that, hey, I could be wrong. The way I'm viewing this could be wrong. Um, so that's processing. And then next, prayerfully consider. 
this is my favorite and this is something that I always do. Um, and that's not because I'm so great. I think it's more so because of my personality because I'm a slow processor and so I'm not a quick responder anyway. Um, and uh, it takes me a while to process and, and, and think about how I feel and I naturally, um, I don't know if anyone does Enneagram or personality stuff or whatever, I'm a nine. Um, so naturally I'm already going to process a long time. I'm gonna be in my head about it and then, and then do anything I can to not talk about it, <laughs> which is not good. Um, but I do do this one naturally, prayerfully consider because I'm already in that place. But if you don't do that naturally, this is going to be um, a, a really exercise of self-control because a lot of you are maybe very quick to know what you're going to say and quick about how you feel about it. And, um, and a lot of times in that, your communication can require a lot of apologies. And so you'd rather do this, stop, reflect, process, and then prayerfully consider. And, um, and in prayerfully considering is asking the Lord to show you how you need to see it. Because there's your way and there's your spouse's way and then there's God's way and his angle and his view and his is always right. And so if we can ask him to show us how he sees it. And then before you speak, you're able to say, okay, God, now I'm asking you to guide my words and I'm asking you to prepare his heart. So in that, nothing is being said out of emotion and nothing's being said um, in the heat of an argument that's going to skew, skew the, whole, the whole view of, of what's happening. And so it is always wise to do those things in the middle of an argument. Yeah, and I would say this too in the knowing when to say there were times where, you know, if we were meeting with a pastor or even times where we've sought Christian counseling, and, and I, I'm a big fan. Just because you go to counselor doesn't mean you're screwed up, right? Just because you go to a chiropractor doesn't mean you're screwed up, right? And, and I remember hearing a, hearing a pastor say one time that he went to a counselor for um, preventative help. He said, I hear all these pastors at the end of, you know, their ministry, they're, they're in a counselor's office. And so he started his ministry going to counsel. So damage control. And the, the counselor was like, well, what's going on? He's like, well, nothing. I just didn't want to do this later. So I thought I'd start <laughs> it now and now. see if you could help me. <laughs> and so there's been times her and I, if, if we just saw that our conflict is probably more deep-seated than our relationship, maybe it's something from childhood or, or something you were just kind of inborn or whatever, let's go and let's, let's, let's have that second opinion. And there's times where we've looked at each other and said, you know what, let's talk about this with our pastors. Let's wait and talk about that with them. Yeah. Because let's get some extra counsel because I obviously feel like I'm right and you feel like you're right and we know that that's not true. And so let's go see what yeah. our pastor will say. Yeah. And then I text my pastor on the side to make sure he's on my side, right? They're and always nah, on, I'm my, just they're kidding. Always on I'm, my side. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but bringing, making sure you're, you're saying it at the right time with the right surroundings yeah. to get the right result. Yeah. I'm not trying to win not in trying the to conversation. Be right. Yeah. I want our marriage to win. So if that means, hey, I admit I was wrong, I should have done that. I've pulled my kids, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I've pulled the whole family together many times and said, hey, guys, what I said was right. How I said it was wrong. And so I repent. Yeah. And, you know, my kids have heard me repent multiple times. But one of the things I've also said in that is, guys, I'm not sorry for saying I'm sorry. Because I want you to know I'll always be a man that owns up to his mistakes. And I hope that one day when you're a father or you're a husband, when you mess up, you're not going to let your pride or your shame or your embarrassment cause you to act like you, you didn't do anything. Just raise your hand and say, hey, I messed up. That's how we do with God. We go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I repent. I need you in my life. And that's the same thing I can do with my own family to say, hey, I messed up. I repent. I need y'all in my life. So, you know, knowing the, the topic and then also knowing the timing mm -hmm. leads to the third one, which is knowing what? Yes, so the third one is tone. Tone. So this is knowing how to say. So you can know what you're going to say and when you're going to say it, but then if you say it wrong, it's still not going to bear the fruit that, 
that you're wanting. And so I want to talk about a few no-nos of communication. All right, um, silent treatment, which is no communication. Women are really good at this. We're really good at just saying, okay, then I'm not going to say anything to you until, you know, you do what I want. And that's just because women by nature um, can be, be manipulators, whether you want to admit it or not. Wow. I know. You admitted that. Oh, but I, some women by <laughs> nature, not me. <laughs> not me. Um, silent treatment is a no-no. So that, that isn't a form of communication. And it, you are communicating. You are communicating through your silence. Yes. So um, accusation. So accusation is a big no-no in, um, in, in saying how you want to say. And so you cannot bring an accusation and say you are doing this and you are doing that. That's, that's not a way to communicate. And that's not a way that's going to open your spouse's heart to what you have to say, because already it puts them on the defense. And it's like, even if it is true, they're not gonna hear it. And so if you come at it in an accusing tone, it's just, it's not going to come across the way you want it to come across, and then it's not going to be received, and then there's no growth that's taken there. And so it's better to say, hey, I've noticed <laughs> you've started to do this, and I, I just want you to know it makes me feel this way. I know you probably don't mean to always give them the benefit of the doubt. I know yeah, it's love, probably love not, leaves the best. it's not your intention and I'm sure you're not doing this on purpose, but I've noticed and I would love, I would love that for you to not do that. Really. It, it makes me feel however it makes you feel, whatever it is. Um, that's going to come across much better and that's going to be received much better than an accusing tone. So silent treatment, is, treatment no-no of a communication, accusation is a, a no-no of communication. Assigning motives, and what I mean by assigning motives is you go ahead and decide the motive behind whatever your spouse has done or said. And so you already say, well, I know what the motive is. And so when you go ahead and decide what your spouse's motive is by what they did or they said, you go ahead and begin to feel a certain way about them. And you go ahead and, and treat them as if that's what they're doing. And it yeah. may not be at all. Creating a narrative. It is creating a narrative in your mind that may be completely false. Um, next would be sarcasm. Sarcasm is fun. It's not fun when you're arguing. It's not fun in communication when, um, if, it's not li if it's not in a light, joking, fun, flirty way with your spouse, <laughs> sarcasm is a big no-no in communication because it's, um, what would you say about sarcasm, babe? Well, I, I would say I'm pretty sarcastic, and my oldest son is very sarcastic. So when he and I get in an altercation, it's like sarcasm city. It's, it's a like sarcasm U fest. Ukraine and Russia, it's like, here we go. And then finally we realize, oh, we've got, we've got to stop. It, it just happens by nature. And then we'll get together, and of course, I'm always, he, he hasn't learned to repent yet, so I just keep setting that example. But you know, even in marriage, there's times where, you know, we'll, I remember, I'll never forget, we were at my, my parents' house visiting, and uh, you, you know what I'm, what I'm, I, I know. Okay, so, uh, anyways, I, I'm in the shower, and she, I'm wounded. She, come, she comes in the bathroom, and she's just, you know, telling me how it's going to be. And, and I'm in there washing my hair. We're in my parents' house, you know, and so I know my parents are listening. And so she's telling me how it's going to be and blah, blah, blah. And Wait, I, I, I would, what was I telling you? How, I how was what going to be? But all I know is I ripped that shower curtain back, you know, and I've got soap all over my, my face. And his glory. And I said, I got my words mixed up. So I said, oh, yeah, is that really? And I, what I meant was really or is that so, but I, I messed up and I said, is that really? <laughs> and she looked at me like, what? What did you just say? And then we both just started laughing, and we forgot what we were fighting about. But, you know, that, that sarcasm is good when, when you're in a comedic stage, but when you're in that battle Ooh. against each other, it's it fuel. becomes a weapon. It becomes, yeah. how can I cut deeper, and how can I make fun of you more, or how can I, how can I make you feel the sting of this more? And really what it is, it's, it's your hurt coming out as a defense yeah and where people have it as a personality sometimes they think it's funny but really it just reveals an insecurity it yeah. reveals a problem so sarcasm has to have uh 
some some bridle on it, and yeah. I've learned that in 20 years. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, it's work in progress. Yeah, that's right. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. So I know that, that this is our challenge, and this especially in marriage, and this isn't always the easy thing, and this isn't, isn't always the first thing that wants to come out of your mouth. But never let ugly or hateful words come out of your mouth. If you have to post that, write that on your bathroom wall to remind yourself that in this marriage and in the way that we communicate, I'm not going to use ugly or hateful words, but my words are going to be seasoned with grace and mercy. And, and listen, talk to, talk to your spouse the way you want them to talk to you. And Jimmy Evans said something once before. I don't know if you've ever heard Jimmy Evans, but um, it's great on marriage. And um, they have a podcast on marriage. And he said, um, ask yourself, I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of my mouth. Hmm. And he said, that's a question you should ask yourself often. I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of my mouth, on the receiving end of the way I say things and what I say. And so keep those things in mind and just ask the Lord to help you. If that's, if that's a challenge for you, if you've always had a sharp tongue um, and had cutting words and maybe that's the way you were raised and maybe the way your parents spoke to you or the way your parents spoke to each other and their, their habits that, and, and things, uh, habits and, um, and uh, things that have been instilled inside of you that you didn't even realize yeah. were instilled on the inside of you. Yeah. Another thing Jimmy said was you can't respect someone you control. And so a lot of times in conversations, you want to control that conversation. Yeah. And so you're not even listening to the words. They don't even matter to you because it, it's, they're not hearing you or agreeing with your way. Yeah. And to respect someone, you have to be willing to be able to say, you know what? I'm not going to control this. Yeah. I, I'm not going to try to make you be who I want you to be. I'm going to trust God in this situation. And I've had to do that even with my kids, you know, where at a certain age you can control, but there's a certain age they will buck against that control and try to show you you'll never control them. And if you buckle down to see, you know, in my, my house it's battle of the testosterone. You know, it's like there's four boys and one girl, and, and, and I got all these princes trying to be king, and I'm going, hey, guys, there's only one king here. You know, but sometimes I have to say, hey, I recognize the king in you. Yeah. Let me guide it instead of trying to control it. And so that helps. You know, you've got to understand your spouse is not to just do what you want them to do, but together you guys give and take. Yeah. Together you guys work this out. Yeah. So in the, the, the first key being communication, I want to talk about key number two, which is priorities. If you're going to scale a marriage... This is something that, that will change quite often. Um, I'll give you some examples. You know, my wife and I, and, and I wrote a book. Matter of fact, we brought a couple of copies. It's in the foyer out there called Calendar Hacking. And this is a book that not only changed my life, and so I wrote a book about how it changed my life, but it's been something that we've used in ministry, we've used in our marriage, and my own kids have sat down and done it. Uh, I help train executive leaders, um, man, all over. And it, and it works. And one of the things that I realized, when we started our ministry, we'd also just started our family. So here we were, we moved to a new city, we didn't know anybody, we started a church, and we started it the old school way. I mean, literally, we went door to door and knocked. We didn't even have cards or flyers to hand out. We just said, hey, I'm Pastor Caleb, do you have a pen? I want to tell you my phone number and where we're meeting this Friday night. We'd love to have you come. And we started our church that way. And it was us with a stroller and it was raining and we just walked in the rain and we knocked on doors and we tried to get people to come to our church. And in the middle of that, starting a church, I also started a business. So I was working 115 hours a week with my business. And then I was also pastor in the church. And at the church, I was also the youth pastor. I was also the young adults pastor. 
I was also the sound guy and the drummer. And then when I got a drummer off, I was the keyboard guy. And then when he got off, I was the bass player. So I was all things to all people except for my marriage and my kids. And so I would come home after work, and here's my wife with two kids in diapers, and she's stressed out. I can see it all over her, and all I want to do is just go pass out. And all she wants to do is throw me a baby, you know, <laughs> and I'm going, oh, great, you know, and then she's, she's looking at me. We don't know anybody, right? So she has no friends to go to coffee with. So there were times, literally, that she would just go to Target like five times a day and just walk <laughs> around Target. And, hey, the kids get to play with toys for free. We don't have to buy them, right? <laughs> so she would just do that, right? But I remember I'd come home and I'd say, babe, one day, one day when things slow down, I'm going to take you on a date. One day when we get money, right, when we can finally pay all these bills, I don't have to work so hard, we're going to go on a vacation. Babe, one day we're going to have a weekend getaway. And it was always one day, one day, one day. And I started realizing that although it was my intention, I was not being intentional. There's a difference in intentions and intentionality. I can tell my wife, I love you and I want to spend time with you, but I just got to finish this project for this client. That was every night till 2, 3, 4 in the morning for two years I slept two hours a day, two years. At 26 years old, I had high blood pressure. I was going through all these, these health issues and trying to grow a family, grow a church, and grow a business while I'm watching myself deplete. And I remember I sat down one day and I just prayed. I said, God, you've got to give me a strategy. You've got to give me something to help. And so I came up with these five steps. And so... One of the things that really was life-changing to me was when our youngest son, Dylan, was diagnosed with leukemia. We thought he had mono. We went to the hospital. Uh, he had mono, but we went to the hospital. We thought he was dehydrated, so we thought they are going to give him an IV, and then we're going to go home. And the doctors came back, and they said, hey, we're prepping him for surgery. And I said, surgery? For dehydration? For mono? They said, no, your son has leukemia. He's got a tumor the size of a football inside his chest. His whole left lung is collapsed. And the right lung that's divided into three parts, two of the three parts are collapsed. They said, cancer is not going to kill your son. He's about to suffocate. We've got to do this now. So here we are like, oh, my God. This was not what we were looking to hear. So quick you know they said hurry you know talk to him kiss him so we go over to him he's he's awake you know he's looking at us he doesn't know what's going on he's tired and I just said hey buddy you're gonna go with these nurses you're gonna go with these doctors they're gonna wheel you back there on this cool little bed and they're gonna give you this cool little mask and and you're gonna go to sleep for a minute and in 30 minutes you're gonna be wheeled back in here and we're gonna see we're gonna hang out we're gonna talk I'll get you some ice cream you know whatever you want well, when they went to prep him for surgery and woke him up out of sedation, that, that other chamber in his lung collapsed. And so immediately they put him in a medically induced coma. So we thought we were going to get to see him in 30 minutes. He didn't open his eyes for over a month. He was in a coma for a month. So now here I am, this pastor of a thriving, growing church. I've got five kids. My family's thriving and growing. I've got a business that's thriving and growing, a couple of businesses that are thriving and growing. And I'm looking at my son, and the doctor comes in, and he says, he's not going to make it to the end of the week. Cancer is not the issue now. When they gave him the first set or the first two sets of steroids, the tumor in his chest exploded, and his body went into what's called tumor lysis. And so he began to have certain parts of his, his organs just shutting down. So now, looking at my son, I'm not thinking about what am I going to do the next four days. If, if, you know, today's Monday and they're saying he may not make it till Friday. Now, we're people of faith and we believed God. But I'm not worried about the next four days. What I'm thinking about is the previous three years. And I'm asking myself those dad questions. Did I throw the ball with him? Did, did, I, did I teach him how to catch, throw? Did, 
did I, did I even take him? Did we ever camp out? Like the things I did with my dad, you know. Did, did I even teach him how to ride a bike, you know. Have I even spent enough time with him? Did, and the sad part about all of that is the answer was no, I didn't. Because I had so many responsibilities in my life that they choked out my priorities. If you would have asked me at that moment, is your son a priority? I would have told you yes. But if you would have asked my son and he was mature enough to answer, he would have told you no. Why? Because what a priority is is something you invest in. It's a priority to you. You've got to learn to be intentional with your relationship and the investments that you make in it daily. Your marriage must be a daily priority. And so what I talk about in that book and what I talk about and I'm going to talk about a little bit right now is there's five steps to having what, what we would call a productive week or you could say a productive marriage. And one of the ways you do that is you have to first, step number one, is you have to make a list of what are priorities to you. So what I do is I, I try to tell people, just pretend like you have nothing to do, right? And I know you got a lot to do. Pretend like you have nothing to do. What would you want to be doing? What matters the most to you? When I was looking at my son in a coma, I did not care if the, the uh, staff at my church had done the reports or the projects that I gave them. I didn't care who opened or closed or locked up the offices. I didn't care if my, my internet bill was paid. I didn't care if my mail had been checked. I didn't care if, if the house was clean. The house could have burned down for all I cared. What I wanted to know the most was, is my son going to be okay? In that moment, I had some soul searching to do. And I, I repented to my wife. I, matter of fact, you know, when, when we made the, the decision to close our church in 2019, here I was in, an, in another church in our, our city with my hands up. It, it was like culture shock. You know, we had been pastoring for 10 years, and then in one week, I'm, no, I'm not the guy on stage anymore. And here I was with my hands up, worshiping, crying out to God and just saying, God, I need you to speak to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly, but he did it in a way, kind of like she was talking about earlier, the way you speak. He spoke to me in a way I needed him to in that moment. It was corrective, but it wasn't abusive. And he said this to me, and it shook me. He said, Caleb, you cheated on your wife. You cheated on your kids. And he said, you cheated on me with ministry. And I said, God, you're going to have to unpack that. I don't understand that. And he said, you were doing good things for a long time. But there were times that you allowed this to take you away from this. And there were so many times where my, my, my kids had to share me with hundreds of people, right? Or I had to miss that football game because of this website I had to make or this client I had to meet with. And while I would never intentionally say work comes first, sometimes that's what was being said by my actions. So God began to deal with me about the way I even allowed ministry to come before my relationship with him. I allowed ministry to come before my relationship with her. And I allowed ministry to come before my relationship with my kids. And so I had to figure out what are, what's priority to me. To me, here's my priorities. God is a priority to me, right? He's a priority to me. My marriage is a priority to me, absolutely. My family, they are priorities to me. I've got to be there for my wife and my kids. My career, it is a priority because it's how I feed my family. So I've got to make sure I have time for that and I'm growing that. But then also, my own health and fitness and, and mental health and physical fitness, that's a priority. And see, I, I grew up with a dad that didn't wake up every morning and go to the gym and, and lift weights. My dad, when the sun came up, he was on the job site. When the sun went down, he was coming home. So that was my example. So, you know, here we are getting married, and she's going, man, babe, you, you need to take care of yourself. 
you know, you're working so much. You're not eating healthy, and, and your blood pressure's up, and you're stressed out. You should, you should get a hobby, or you should go, and like, my hobby is making money. Like, I've got to pay <laughs> for all these things you want, right? And you keep popping out we'll kids, and they're then. expensive, right? So, so I had to learn what are priorities. So let me tell you how you can do that, and the book will help you so much more. Just get it. If there's not enough copies, it's on Amazon. But make a list of your priorities. It's one thing to write it down, but then you have to schedule them. Put them in your calendar. So let me ask you a question. If God's a priority to you, how is God in your calendar? Most people go, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he is a priority. Prove it. How is he a priority to you? And so I'll meet with clients, and I'll talk to different people, and, and we did this in our church, and discipling people, and and I was talking with a guy the other day, and he said, God's a priority. He said, tell me how he's a priority. He goes, well, he just is. And I said, uh, okay. Is your wife a priority? Yeah. I said, give me the phone. I'll call her and ask her. Well, what do you mean? And so I said, well, how's God a priority? So we, when we finally figured it out, he said, okay, well, I want to go to church. I just don't. I said, okay, so what's the church you go to? When are the service times? And he said, I said, okay, put it in your calendar right now. Put it in there. Sundays at 9 a.m., you're going to be here. Put it on repeat for every Sunday. Set an alarm that reminds you an hour before so that you don't forget, right? And I said, now, is that the only way God's a priority is Sunday? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Monday. I said, well, your church don't have church on Monday. So how, how are you going to put God in your calendar on Monday? He goes, well, I don't know. What should I do? I said, I, this is between you and him. He said, well, maybe I could pray. Great. How long do you want to pray? I don't know. 10 minutes, I was like, that's fine. You know, as you do it, maybe you'll want some more time with him. You know, when me and my wife first went out on our first date, it may have been an hour or two, right? But then I was like, yeah, it's not long enough, right? We need to go out on a longer date, right? We need more dates. We need, you need to marry me, right? I, I wanted more time. And so he began to put God in his calendar. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he was praying. He began to go to small groups on Thursdays. He was doing different things, right? He was reading books about God, reading the Bible. Now God became a priority because he was in his calendar. Your success is found in your daily routine. Let me give you some wisdom. If your finances aren't successful, they're not in your daily routine. If your marriage is not successful, it's not in your daily routine. If your health, your fitness is not successful, it's not in your daily routine. Whatever, if your relationship with your son is not successful, your relationship with your daughter, it's not successful, it's not in your daily routine. So I don't care how much it's an intention on the inside of you, until it gets in your daily routine, it won't work. I was talking with a pastor yesterday. I'm actually coaching him on scaling some stuff in his life and his, his ministry. And he called me and he said, I thought your calendar hacking stuff was just, you know, a bunch of nonsense. He said, but dude, I started doing it. And he said, my marriage is turning around. He said, for the first time, I have a relationship with my daughter. And what he would do is he would, he would work so much. And he's kind of ADD. And so part of ADD is, is finding things to do that don't actually get anything done. Right? <laughs> and then when you realize there's things you should have done, you, you, you avoid them for procrastinating the fact that you should have done them. So he's just always floating around and never accomplishing anything, right? And so, so some of you are laughing because you're like, that's, that's me, right? <laughs> so he, he would tell me with tears in his eyes, I've always wanted to go on a date with my daughter. And I said, why don't you? I don't know. And I said, how old is she? She's a senior in high school. I said, let me tell you something, dude. I'm not saying it's too late. But I'm saying you better start now. And sure enough, they went on a date, and she broke down. She started crying. You know why? Because she always wanted a date with her daddy. So he told me, he said, man, I had a, I put it in my calendar. I was cooking dinner for my family on Tuesday night. And at dinner, I had my wife and my daughter pull out their phone and said, you pick a night. I'm taking you out, honey, talking to his, his wife. And so she picked a night, and then his daughter, he was sitting there, and he goes, now, you pick a night. I'm taking you out. And she just began to weep. 
But when he told her, you have my time, she felt valuable. Right? A lot of times people say time is money. Time is not money. Time is freedom. And so when we trade time for money, we lose our freedom. There's not a job or a paycheck on this planet that is worth me not investing in this or my family or my relationship with God. I don't care how tired I am. I want to get up. I want to pray. I want to read my Bible. My wife and I, we go on dates every week. And so I used to not go on those dates. And finally one day I told her, I said, that's it. We're doing it. We're scheduling it. And I realized I'm, I'm, a, I'm self-employed. I control my calendar. The issue was I wasn't controlling my calendar. So my, my clients would say, hey, can you, can you meet with me Thursday at, at 6 p.m.? No, man, I can't. I've, I've got a meeting. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got a previously scheduled meeting. I, I can't, can't do that. And then church members, pastor, you don't understand. You, you, you got to come over now. Yeah, she's crazy. Man, I, I know you need me right now, but I'm already with someone. She'll be crazy tomorrow too. <laughs> I'm already with someone. Can we meet tomorrow? No, no, it's got to be now. It's got to be now. I understand that you feel it's got to be now, but I'm already with someone who needs me right now. It's not that I'm telling them no. I'm just saying not right now. And so you've got to learn boundaries. But what is priority to you? Your marriage must be priority. And how your spouse will know its priority is by how it shows up on the calendar or throughout the day. Time, right? Do something with your spouse. I heard someone say this one time, and it really, uh, it just really struck a chord with me. And they said, in, in marriage, you should always practice a 777 model. Every seven days, a date. Every seven weeks, a night away. And every seven months, a vacation, just you two. And I was like, man, I can, I can do that, right? So we date every seven days, right? Sometimes if we have extra time, we'll date two or three times a week. Sometimes it could just be a lunch or I'll call her sometimes and say, hey, can I meet you for coffee? And it might be, sure, I got 20 minutes, and we meet for coffee. Trust me, our calendars are exact. But priorities, she knows she's a priority. Before, I was in my laptop going, yeah, babe, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm marketing for clients, and I'm coaching people, and I'm building businesses, and, and my, my clients were a priority. Because I thought, I'm providing for you. Right? This is how I'm loving you. I'm giving you this house and paying for that purse that you made me buy you and all these other things that you want, right? This is how I love you. But really, she has a purse, but she has no one to, to walk with her around places and, and no one to, to spend time with. And I want her to know she's priority. So you have to have priorities. And so, sadly, most marriages begin, exist, and end with no clear vision, right, or plan for that marriage. You know, even for us to come on this trip, we had a vision and a plan. We finished this trip before we ever started it. You know, every, every one of y'all done that. When you go on vacation, you finish the vacation before you ever started. And how you do that is you say, okay, I'm going to be there for five days, so I'm going to need you know, five, seven, maybe eight outfits. All right, I'm going to need these socks, these belts. I'm going to need that. And you have every, you finished it. We're going to need this much money. We're going to need gas. We're going to need a hotel. We're going to need food. We're going to, you finished it before, you had a plan. You had a vision, right? When, I, when she said, I do, and I said, I do, my vision or plan was never leukemia in my family, right? But we knew we were going somewhere. And when those curveballs came, we still had a plan and a vision, and that wasn't in it. So, God, that's not your plan, so that's not going to stay. Have a vision and a plan for your marriage. Be intentional, right? But understand priorities. And then key number three, and, and I could go on forever about key number two, but just go get the book. Key number three is influences, and this is one that is so important, so important, so important. It's just like we teach our kids, you are who you surround yourself with. The same goes for our marriage. There's relationships in our lives that we refuse to go without because they sharpen our marriage. They sharpen us. She feels safe 
knowing I've got a pastor in my life speaking to me. She feels secure knowing that I will go to him and allow him to correct me, to instruct me, to guide me. You know, one thing COVID taught the world in this, you know, chaos we've been in is that who you're in close proximity with can affect your health and well-being. The same is true in the marriage relationship. Who you're in close proximity with can affect your well-being. Time should never be spent with people. It should be invested. Time spent is expensive. I don't want relationships that I spend time. I want relationships that are invested because it has a return on that investment. And so you have to surround your marriage with influences. And those influences will propel you or should propel you further into God's plan and God's will for the marriage relationship, for the call of God on both of your life. And that may may come in, man, a a pastor, a counselor, uh, a mentor, godly friendships, or even resources. We read books. We just bought a book and brought it with us on this trip. We, We read books about marriage. We read books about how to be a better father, a better mother, a better leader, a better spouse. I read about how, how to just be a better Christian, a better man of God, right? I, I'm reading on how to influence myself so that I'm better for her. If I can grow me, then anything I'm a part of will benefit from that. So if I'm not growing me, each one of you should have a personal growth plan as an individual and as a couple, if you don't, then you'll just, you, won't, you don't know if you're there. A common question I ask people often is, especially when they would come marriage counseling or business or whatever, I would say, well, what does success look like to you in that area? Because they're griping. If my wife would blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, what, what would success look like to you in your marriage? And they go, man, I don't know. Well, then you'll never know when it shows up. Define it. Look for it. Work towards it plan for it, right? And so marriage is a ministry. Ministry should attract a specific caliber of relationships. So you don't bring trash around things that are valuable. I would never put my daughter around a rough crowd, right? I would never put an infant baby in an unhealthy environment. I don't want my marriage to be surrounded with things that could take it a different direction. That's voices that, that's images, that's whatever you want to say. And lastly, I'll say this in closing, is there's no greater influence for your marriage than the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And so, you know, the Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy, right? In his presence. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Sometimes the safest thing we can do when we don't know how to communicate, we don't know what to do, is we just go get in the presence of God and just marinate, just soak it up. Let the spirit of God speak to you. Let the presence of God fall on you. And it begins to work. It begins to heal. It begins to mend. So no matter what phase of marriage you're at right now, you can always scale to greater in greater places. God has a plan for you. God's hand is on you. And you just have to see your marriage being greater than it is right now. So tomorrow, she's got something great she's going to share. But man, I cannot wait to talk to you tomorrow about something that God's put on my heart that I believe will be a great blessing to you. But let me pray for you. You want to say anything, babe? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to not only... Speak the truth that comes from your word, but God, to see that we're all a work in progress. Just because we've been married a long time doesn't mean we're good at it. And just because we just got married doesn't mean we're bad at it. Duration is not success. Success comes from obedience. Success comes from you. So God, tonight we've looked at your word. Your word says that it produces faith. And faith is how we please you. So tonight, Father God, we thank you that we present our marriages to you by faith. And and we believe that you'll say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant.
God, help us through your Holy Spirit to know how to be a better spouse. God, send the right relationships around us. Thank you for pastors, the pastors of this house and and mentors in this house, small group leaders, leaders, whatever the, the, the name is, just people who have your heart and have the ability and wisdom to share it. And God, I thank you that the problems that we face are not too difficult for you. God, we plead and apply the blood of Jesus over every marriage that's yes. here tonight. You, Satan, we take great joy in letting you know you, you are defeated and you cannot separate what God has joined. Yes. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we thank you, Lord, that love casts out all fear and believes the best in every situation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.